0: The Spanish painter, sculptor, and ceramist Pablo Picasso was one of the greatest and most influential artists of the 20th century. His painting, Le Rave, that's my best attempt at French, The Dream, was secured by a collector named Steve Wen, who later had a deal in place to sell it for $139 million. It would have been the most expensive piece of art ever sold at the time. But before that transaction could happen, while showing that very precious painting to a group of friends, that I'm told Barbara Walters was in that group, he inadvertently turned and with his elbow punctured a six-inch hole in that painting. And of course, you can imagine what that did to the value of that painting. It was professionally restored for almost a half a million dollars. And it was done so well that you had to really look to see that there was actually ever an issue with the painting. After it was restored, seven years later, he sold it for $155 million. If you have an eye for art, You have a great appreciation for the works of Picasso. Uh, You probably find them to be precious. That is, they are of great value. And in the book of 1 Peter, we are brought face to face with some things that are precious in the sight of God. And they're so precious that you can't assign a monetary value to these things. From chapter 1, we saw that... The trial of our faith is much more precious than gold that perisheth. We saw that the blood of Christ is precious. So as far as value is concerned, listen very carefully. The works of Picasso are fit for the landfill compared to those things. Uh, Compared to the trial of your faith, compared to the precious blood of Christ... We could take the very best of Picasso and give them to our children to play in the nursery with. That's how precious those things are. And as God would have it, Peter continued to enlighten us on what is precious. And listen, I beg you, because you want to know what God deems to be precious. This is critical for you. This is critical for me, especially in these last days where we live in this country of affluence, where we are all drowning with stuff. And we all want more stuff. And we just can't have enough. I've heard it said before, and I agree with it. The issue in America is not having, it's having to have. It's just that we've got to have more and it's never enough and give me more and give me more. Listen, if you're not straight on what's precious, you'll be in that camp. You'll never have enough. So let's see what God has to say in terms of enlightening us a little bit more. For contextual reasons, we pick it up in verse three where we left off last time. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That is, is if you are saved, if you truly been born again, uh, to whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious. Uh, so Peter once again mentions the Lord's coming. You see this very clearly in the book, and. What you need to know is when the Bible speaks about the coming of Christ, the return of Christ, you need to understand the Bible is not talking in terms of fiction. This is not a fairy tale. This is not wishful thinking. As clear as you can hear my voice, this is going down. He is coming. It is that certain. It is truth. We must know this. But this informs us of the importance of keeping this in view. Why? Because historically, these people were suffering. They were suffering greatly. They were under immense affliction. They were being persecuted mightily. And Peter once again put them in remembrance of this truth that he is coming. So no matter where you are and what you're dealing with and what you're going through and how you're hurting, know this, the Lord is coming. He's coming back for you. He's coming back for his bride, the church first. That is us. And then he will literally return to the earth to deal with the nations and the nation of Israel. But we are told that the Lord is unto a living stone and that is a perfect analogy for him because a stone represents strength and stability and this is important for you and I to know that the Lord is that for us he is our strength and our stability I am so grateful that I don't have to be that for myself because I'm not qualified but he is more than qualified Uh, Consider what David said in Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock. Who is your rock? Who is your rock? Uh, This is what you lean on. This is what you rest on. This is what you trust in. The Lord, David said, is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. My buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Uh, David's confession there, his admission was God, Jehovah God, is my strength and stability. Is he yours? And what is true of God the Father is true of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Once again, you have a very clear, definitive reference to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ there. At his second coming, he will be Israel's living stone He will be their strength and their stability at a time that they will need it. Unlike they have ever needed it. But he was and is disallowed of men. The text tells us that is Israel did not allow him to be their Messiah. They did not allow him to be their king at his first coming. And they led the world in rejecting and crucifying him. But while Israel And the world rejected him. God the Father did not. He actually chose him. Matthew 12, 17 begins with, That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. God chose his son to be the very propitiation for the sins of the world and to be the foundation of the church. But God further enlightened us by declaring, listen, that Christ is precious. Now, this is critical. To the godly, what is precious to God will be precious to them. To the godly, what is precious to God will be precious to them. And I can't articulate this enough. None of us ever want to find ourselves in the position where something is very precious to God, but it's very cheap with us. You don't want to be there. This is one of the worst places you could ever be spiritually. Christ is precious to God. Look at Matthew 3:17. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, "This is my beloved Son and whom I am well pleased." That word "beloved" means dearly." That is, at a high price, uh, or, listen, with great fondness. That is who Christ is to God the Father. And the Apostle Paul echoed this in our study of Colossians. You'll remember it from Colossians 1.13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That word dear means agape. And I think you know what that word means. So you're getting to see how precious God's son is to him. So this shows us that our first major point, we've been saying it, Christ is precious to God. So very precious, invaluable, which immediately begs the question, is Christ precious to you? Is he precious to you? He most certainly was to the Apostle Paul, Philippians 3 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Well, what was gained to him? Well, before he became the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. And he, 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 he had given us in the same chapter, he would given us his incredible resume, his Jewish resume. Uh, he had gained a lot. He was a very big deal in Judaism. Uh, he would have been an A-list Jew. If you were holding a conference and and you were going to have the Apostle Paul as your keynote speaker, it would have been standing room only, I promise. He had power. He had influence. He had prestige. He had respect. You name it, he had it all. and He said, all of that to me, I count it loss. It's not precious to me. Why? Verse 8, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing him was greater than anything for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. Yes, that means what you think it means that I may win Christ. Christ was the invaluable treasure of Paul's heart. He was precious to him. Is he precious to you? Listen, if Christ is not the ultimate desire of your heart, the crushing reality is he's not precious to you. It hurts to say that for some believers, after salvation, their interests and the value that they place on the Lord Jesus Christ, it just dwindles over time. It depreciates spiritually. It's like, well, thank you for the ticket to heaven, but I'll catch up with you then. I'm so thankful that I don't have to go to that horrible place and spend eternity there. That's dreadful. That's terrible. Thank you. But I got everything else I need from here. And to ensure that we get the math on this, here's what you got to understand. What ultimately determines if Christ is precious to us is the value that we place on his word. You say, how do you justify that? Easy. Who is he? He is the what? The word. John chapter 1, verse 1, John 1, 14. That is what determines whether or not Christ is precious to you. What value, what place, what love, what devotion... What passion, what conviction you give to his word. When the word is precious to our hearts, we will read it. We will think on it. We will pray on it. We will speak it and we will live it regularly. If the word of God is not precious to you, listen. Christ himself cannot be precious to you. You cannot put a high value on Christ or say that you do when you have an exceptionally low value on his word. That's an impossibility because they are one in the same. You can't say you love Christ, but you don't love his word. That, it's, that's impossible. And if that's you, let me just tell you that this is a problem of epic proportion spiritually. Something is significantly wrong. Because you cannot get anywhere spiritually when God's Son and God's Word don't mean very much to you. Verse five Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Ye also. So what is true of Christ is also true of us. Why? Because we are in him. So we too are lively stones. So stones, we see here clearly, also picture or represent or are a type of people. But if Christ is precious to God, then our next key point has to be this. The church is precious to God. The lively stones, it's who we are. The church is also precious. Again, Peter Uh, Was not writing to a specific local church. He was writing to believers in general in the Roman Empire at that time, but they made up the body of Christ just as we do today. Look at Ephesians 2, verses 20 through 22. And are built up, I'm sorry, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. So we are the spiritual house of God that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of. And what was the literal tabernacle in the Old Testament, we are the spiritual equivalent in the New Testament. We are the house or the habitation of God. Now listen very carefully. We have not replaced the nation of Israel. I am not saying that. I think you get that. But please understand this. While we have not replaced them, I want you to get this. This is very critical. We are as precious to him as they are. I think sometimes we lose track of that as Gentiles in the dispensation of grace, we understand, we respect dispensationally God's view, God's plan, God's dealings with the nation of Israel as his chosen. And I think sometimes we can deduce from that that we are God's now spiritual stepchildren. We are not. God loves you and me. God loves the church as much as he loves the nation of Israel. But here we go. A necessary question arises again, does it not? Because if Christ is precious to God, is he precious to you? If the church is precious to God, is it precious to you? This is what I'm saying. What is precious to God must be precious to you. This is critical. Now, once again, to help you do some honest math on that, if Christ and his word are not precious to you, how can the church be? It's impossible. When believers do not engage in loving, biblical relationships with one another, when they do not attend faithfully, when they do not serve faithfully, they do not worship faithfully, they do not tithe faithfully, they're simply revealing, listen, what they're saying to God is, this is the value that I have placed on your church that you purchase with your own blood. That's what it means to me. That's what it's worth to me. It's not worth my first and my best. It's not worth my faithfulness It's not worth my financial responsibility. It's not worth that. I'll attend whenever I can, I'll do whatever I can do when I can do it. I kind of come in and go, that's what your church means to me and I'm amazed at how we we just write that kind of stuff off. Well you know how life is life is tough, life is busy. But let me ask you, and again, I've asked this question for years, and and, and I'm going to ask it again because it makes the point. How many of you would be okay if I treated my family that way? Would you really be okay with me if I came home three out of seven nights? Would that be all right? Here's Lori with two wonderful children, and she's trying to pay the bills, and she's trying to Keep food on the table, and you know, I kind of throw her a little money here and there. Would that be all right? Of course not. Of course not. Sam would have no part of that. I would be disqualified, I'd be sat down, and rightfully so. But believers treat God's house that way all the time, they don't tithe. They don't serve faithfully. They don't attend faithfully. And they just write it off like it's no big deal when God says, do you understand I bought those people with my blood and you're going to view it and treat it that way? No way. No way can that work for you spiritually. God says we're not agreed. How can we walk together? How can you walk with me when I say to me, this is a 10, and you say it's a zero. <sighs> Guys, listen. Sometimes people struggle spiritually, and, and, and they think, they're, well, I'm missing something. There was some, no, 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 it's, like, it's so simple. God says, you, <laughs> you've got to value what I value. You've got to love what I love. I treasure my son. I treasure my word. I treasure my church. And if you're going to walk with me, you must too. If not, you are going to struggle. Not only that, we're told that we are built up as a spiritual house. We are an holy priesthood. In the Old Testament, Israel was to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to God, Exodus 19, 6, spiritually speaking, this is the role of the church today. This is who we are to be. And this is where, or this is one of the places that we extract the doctrine or the teaching of the, the, the priesthood of the believer, which is we now, as the people of God, because of who we are in Christ, we have direct access to God. Because we are priests as well. We are a spiritual priesthood, which allows us, listen very carefully, to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God by Jesus Christ. This is why in chapter one, Peter told us to be holy in all manner of conversation, because if you're going to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God by Jesus Christ, it's all got to be holy. Now, we're not offering up animals as our sacrifice because Jesus, the Lamb of God, was that for us, praise the Lord. Our sacrifices are spiritual. And there's a lot that we could look at to unpack those, but I think they all come together in Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We are lively stones. And as lively stones, we are to be living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God. But here's the key. This is the key with respect to this. Listen, spiritual sacrifices are offered up to God through Christ by living sacrifices, That's the key. That's the key. As living stones, we are to be living sacrifices. And that's how we offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. When you present your body, which is your life, as a living sacrifice to God, it means that you're saying, God, here is my life. It's yours. Here's my life spirit, soul, and body, I am yours. Listen, one of the greatest lies that has been told throughout the history of the church, and it is told as much today as it has been told throughout the history of the church, it is this. And it rolls off the tongue so naturally, so easily, because we've heard so many people say it, and so many of them have just lied and lied and lied. And, and, and the crazy thing about our lies is that we can tell them so much that we begin to believe them. Here's the lie. I gave my life to Christ. Did you? What people really mean when they say that is they're talking about the day that they were born again the day that they prayed the sinner's prayer. That's really what they mean. But what, you're really, what, what your words are saying, though, is that you're a Romans 12-1 believer. You're a living sacrifice, but that's not really true, is it? God might have your soul but that doesn't mean he has your life. As a matter of fact, your life says you're still calling the shots. Your life says that you have approached the Christian life like a spiritual buffet. Where you pick and choose those things that are of interest to you and those things that you want to do, but that, that you don't like or care for, you just leave that. So, there are aspects about the church that I like. There are things about the Bible that interest me, and that's pretty cool. But uh, when the dust clears, I'm sitting on the throne of this life. I decide, I call the shots. I really haven't given my life to Christ, have you? God gave his life. Through Christ for you at Calvary. And the exchange is his life for yours. Has that exchange happened? See, here's the reality everybody in this room, everybody viewing, Or listening we're all offering something up to God aren't we whether you realize it or not you are the question is is it holy and acceptable let me help you answer that if you really haven't given your life to God then the answer is what you're offering up is unholy and unacceptable. The burnt offering in the Old Testament, it was ultimately a picture of Christ who, as we said earlier, was the Lamb of God who offered himself wholly and fully as the atonement for our sin. Praise the Lord, we are eternally grateful are we not but it also pictured for the worshiper the offerer it represented the whole of their being being offered dedicated to God in that and God has something to say about that altar in the book of Leviticus you know what that was it was the fire that was to never go out. That altar had to be ready at all times to make a sacrifice. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of our life, where that is the fire that is to never go out. God, I am completely yours, 100%. As Sam would say, I'm going to go to my Southern Missouri speech here, lock, stock, and barrel. I think that's code for everything, right? I'm not from Southern Missouri, but I think I get the point. God, I'm yours. 24-7. And God, when I'm not... When I crawl off that, off, off that altar, by your grace, I'm so thankful for the convicting work of your spirit so that I climb right back on. So let's put it together. If your faith is precious, meaning that it has been tried and proven, if the blood of Christ is precious... To you, if his word is precious to you, and if the church is precious to you, then you are a living stone that is a living sacrifice that is offering up spiritual sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to God. Praise the Lord. If that's you, Thank God for that and trust Him to stay in that place. If that's not you, today is the day for you to say, God, I'm done. I'm done warring with you about what parts of my life you can have and what parts of my life you can't have and all this, that, and the other. I'm 100% yours. You can't walk with him any other way. The best you can do is, as Sam would say, is play church. At the marriage retreat, couples engaged in a lot of quality discussion. I think you probably, I hope most of you found that to be beneficial, useful, helpful. And let me just encourage you, don't let that be the only time that your marriage experiences that. Uh, Good to great marriages don't just happen by incident. It takes that type of relationship, that type of deliberate communication to have a good to great marriage. But I'm going to ask you to do this as we close this morning. I'm going to ask you to continue that theme. And what I want you to do is I want you to get with your spouse. And, and you can spread out. We've got room here. You can go upstairs. You can go outside. It's a, it's a nice morning But here's what I'm going to ask you to do if if your spouse is here and you're here together, is what did you hear this morning? What did the Holy Spirit whisper to you from the Word of God? I'm going to ask that you share that with your spouse and then pray for each other. If there was something the Holy Spirit squeezed your heart about, where you are found to be lacking as a living sacrifice, share that. Listen, let me tell you, a word that I've had to embrace over the years as a husband, and it's, it's very critical to having a, a good to great marriage, and I'm really talking to the men here for a second. Um, the word is vulnerable. It is good for me, to talk with my wife and pull the curtains back and say, hey, here's where I'm weak. Here's where I struggle. Here's where I have erred. Here's, here's where I'm grieving the Spirit of God. That's, hey, man, that's good, brothers. That's who we are. We're flesh, aren't we? They know that. <laughs> um, that, that really, that endears your wife to you. She doesn't see you now as this guy that is unreachable. You're made of the same stuff that she's made of. And that's a wonderful thing. But take some time and do that. If your spouse isn't here and you just want to sit quietly by yourself, that's fine too. If you're single, the same applies to you. If you're single, you are no less important as it relates to any of this and anything that we talk about in general. But what is it? that the Lord would have you to confess and trust him to correct. So I'm going to pray, and the wrap-up is yours this morning. Now, let me just say this, and I'm going to talk, because only really husbands would do something like this, I I think. Man, if you're going to take this as an opportunity to just get out of here and get downstairs so you can get some coffee and donuts before anybody else, then shame on you. And I really pray for your wife, because... That would probably answer a lot of questions, not to be nasty, okay? But it's good to see all of you today. I trust that God's word landed as it needed to. I'm going to pray and then leave you to meet with God, however that looks like to you. Lord, I thank you so much for the clarity, the simplicity of your word. Father, you have made it clear to us today that your son is dear to you. He is your beloved. He is precious to you. And because he is the word, the word of God must be precious to you as well you tell us in your word that you have magnified that above your very name. So God, that speaks to the value that we should place on your word. And God, you've made it clear that your people are precious. The church is precious. And so God, what is precious to you must be precious to us. If we're gonna know you, Love you, walk with you, worship you, please you. We must be agreed on what's precious. And so, Lord, whatever you have revealed to us, now's our time to confess that to you and then pray for one another. It's so critical that we do that. Thank you, Lord, for the time that you've spent with us in your word today. I pray that it won't return void. For your glory, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.